Welcome to Season 2 of History, Politics, and Beer, the podcast that examines contemporary issues through the lens of history. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice-cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. All right, boys and girls, welcome back. Um, this is our post-election midterm analysis um, history, politics, and beer. And once again, sitting across from me is Mr. Jeffrey Hudson. And Mr. Hudson, you brought us a different beer. Um, there's an animal on my beer, along with beer that defies the odds of 1867. So what, what am I, what am you're, I drinking? You're drinking here? a Canadian beer. Uh, it's a Moosehead lager. Uh, Moosehead, I think, it became available around the time I started drinking beer in the United States. It was in a, always in a bottle. We got a can today. And, uh, you know, Moosehead is just a regular yep. lager beer. Um, the Canadian beers, generally, I don't think, I mean, they're not real hopped up. I no. mean, they're beers. They're lager beers, so they're, they they depend less on the hop and, and uh, you know, more on the malt. Um, I do think I prefer... The Molson to the Moosehead. I agree. Um, I mean, yeah. it's not a, it's not bad. It just does it doesn't have a. I'm not gonna say it doesn't have flavor because you can definitely tell it's a beer, but it, right. it doesn't pop. It doesn't. Right. It's not bringing you back like oh, I want to drink more of that. It kind of reminds me of something I might want to drink after mowing the yard. Yeah, it, cool, refreshing, right. uh, but yeah, not a whole lot of flavor in that. Uh, so that's what we have today. I'm going to get a lot more interesting beers for us around the holidays. Oh, that's going to be cool. I look forward to that. And okay. I think that maybe a calm beer is good for the topic today because we are going to look at the post-mortem of elections 2018 midterms. Um, I guess first thing I want to ask you, Jeff, is you can go over a little bit of just the idea of what a midterm is. We throw that term around a lot, the midterms, and what are we referring to? Well, yeah, the the election for president is every four years. Uh, the election for the House of Representatives is every two years. So there's twice as many elections for members of the House than there are for the president. So that's what we're talking. When we say midterms, it means midterm of the president's, uh, uh, the last presidential election. Right. So every two years, all 435 members, right. 438 members uh, of the House of Representatives are up for re-election. Right. And then about a third of the Senate. And the Senate terms are staggered. They're six years, but they're staggered. So you usually get about 33, 34 members of the Senate up for the election in the so-called midterms as well. Um, why are we so – usually midterms come and go and not a lot of attention is paid. Um, this one we seem to be hypersensitive to. Um, people are actually watching it. We've had record voter turnouts, uh, some areas as high as over 60%. Why? Why was this midterm such a big deal? Well, the, the midterm is always seen as a referendum on the party in power. And Trump has a very distinctive and abrasive personality. I think both sides would agree with that. And I think this was seen more than ever as a referendum on Trump. What do the American people think of him? Uh, how's he doing? How are the Republicans doing? And so I think that's why I got a little. Now, I think the midterms, there's gradually been more interest as we get to be a more divided nation. 
And this is just a culmination of that with a fairly extreme personality of Donald Trump kind of driving the narrative. Right. I think it's the first time we had people go to a poll since President Trump has been elected. Um, so the pontifications and the talking heads, we actually have data now to see, as you said, a referendum on the president. Um Historically, though, it, first midterm elections are not kind to the sitting president. Uh, historically, I think since my research tells me, uh, since FDR only twice has a sitting president actually gained seats. Um, do you know the two presidents since FDR that uh, actually gained seats in the first midterm election? Uh, I know George W. Bush was one of them, and that was in the aftermath of 9-11. Right. He only gained eight seats. It right. wasn't It wasn't a lot, but that's, that's true. And I'm thinking back down before that, and I don't really know. I mean, Eisenhower was a popular guy, but I don't know if he gained any seats. Who he was lost, the, He lost 18, Eisenhower. Okay. What is- uh, uh, FDR in 34. Okay. He gained nine. But what was interesting in- um, 38 and 42, he lost 71 seats. Then the next midterm, he lost 55 seats. Which which goes, yeah, he was losing seats, but it also goes to show you just how dominant the Democrats, because he didn't lose control of the House, I don't think. I, that's a good question. I don't know. No, if he I, know I, I think he controlled the House the whole time. So, I mean, that just shows you the dominance of the Democrats. Uh, and he, I know he lost seats. He lost some electoral votes too. I mean, in, yeah, and, in the Midwest, uh, he starts North Midwest. He uh, he starts to lose some of those smaller right, states. Right, right. But I mean, you know, the guy was elected four times, yeah. and so. But yeah, yeah, uh, that's interesting. And maybe I should have guessed this at FDR, but that's an interesting fact. All right, so here we are um, talking about 2018, the midterm. I want you to rank this. I'm going to give you a scale. Zero is the Republicans totally crushed it, perfect night for them. Ten is the Democrats crushed it, it was a blue wave. Five is, eh, both sides made out okay. Where are you putting this midterm? I would put it about an eight for the the Democrats. Oh, okay. And, and, you know— the the problem is defining what a wave is, right. and I think the term wave just for most people and for the media is like uh, the other side won a lot more offices than you know one side won a lot more than the other, and that's certainly true uh, of what happened. You know, as we sit here, Trump has lost thirty. The Republicans have lost thirty six seats in the House of Representatives. Right, and I have projected that that uh, that the uh, Democrats will gain two more. Not every de- you know uh, right. House race is counted. That's a th- that's thirty eight seats, um, and uh, it, you have to go back to uh, the Watergate midterm after Nixon was elected uh, in seventy two. Uh, and uh, where Democrats gained more than that. So if you're comparing this to, you know, a, a history and you look at, you know, as the facts about Watergate became apparent and Nixon was a popular president two years before that, he won, what, 49, 48 out of 50 states? Oh, yeah, Nixon crushed McGovern. Yeah, and and then two years later— the Democrats gained a huge number of seats. This is the most since then. So I think, again, if you look at this perspective of history, this was a historic 
That was a historic night for the Democrats. Well, you're saying the most, but Obama lost 63 seats in 2010. No, I meant the most for the Democrats. Republicans. For, the, the 38 seats that the Democrats get are the most for the Democrats since the Watergate okay. era. And I know that the Tea Party, uh, you know, and that movement, what was that, in 2010? Right. Uh, there was a backlash against Obama, and they gained a lot of seats. But mo- a lot of those districts where they gained seats had been gerrymandered because this, the 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 Republicans uh, had control of the state legislatures. And according to the Constitution, the states draw the districts after the census uh, reapportions the number of congressmen. So if you look at the total number of votes, I think the Democrats won what's uh, – they got uh, seven to eight uh, percent more vote, right? And that's that is comparable. In fact, it's a tiny bit better than what the Republicans did in two thousand and ten. So, if you look at the numbers of actual people that voted and switched their votes, uh, it's it's very comparable to that election in two thousand and ten. But but the Democrats haven't controlled state legislatures to gerrymander the districts. Uh, and I, I think the fact that Republicans have controlled uh, the legislatures in, in more states than the Democrats, and they have successfully gerrymandered. For those listeners who don't know what gerrymander is, it just means drawing the congressional district to make it more likely that uh, a member of your party keeps getting elected. I think the f- 38 uh, 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 flips thirty uh, a gain of thirty eight is enormous considering the how the, gerrymandered it was how gerrymandered yes. it was so uh, you know it depends on uh, and I'm gonna uh, do a little pol- political science talk here I don't know how useful the concept of a wave is there's some what's well, not defined yeah there's some concepts that are more well defined and and. Uh, uh, two of those are de-aligning or critical elections and realigning election. And a realigning election, I think, is what the Democrats were looking for. A realigning election changes is is a, is a great victory for that party at that time, but it also changes politics for a while. So in 1932, when Roosevelt beat Hoover, all right, that was a realigning election. The the country became more democratic, and you had the New Deal itself that Roosevelt ushered in, I, I don't think you could say it was really challenged until Reagan became president. Right, I agree. Yeah. So, so you had years and years and years where there are actually more registered Democrats than Republicans, and the Democratic policies got enacted. Uh, you know, we can think of uh, Social Security. Medicare, Medicaid, Head Start, you know, school lunch programs. It, it just it was this enormous victory in 1932 that changed American politics for a long, long period of time. Uh, Eisenhower used to talk about uh, Eisenhower, Republican president, used to talk about Social Security, and he said any Republican who would attack this is not going to be elected. And he was talking about the so-called third rail of politics. We can't touch those. Well, I don't know if that's changed. Go, you know, it'd be interesting to see a presidential candidate say, "I'm going to cut Medicare, I'm going to cut Social Security," and and see how many people vote for him. My guess is it wouldn't work out too well. Nobody does that. 
because they, they, they know that. So that was a realigning election. And I think Democrats were all excited that, you know, they see Trump as so reprehensible and so nasty and so racist and sexist and, and all those things that they wanted this tremendous repudiation. And what they got was a very substantial victory. They didn't get a realigning election. There's another kind of election called a de-aligning or critical election. And they often precede realigning elections. And that's when groups that tend to vote for a political party change. They, they start voting for the other political party. And it's also when groups beca- that have tended to vote for the party not in power gain a little more power. And I think I would argue that this election is a de-aligning election that might precede a realigning election. I mean, let's look exactly what happened. We talked about the House. Uh, the Democrats, you know, they, uh, Ray, um, Trump wants to talk about, well, the, the Senate seats. Well, the Democrats lost two, and depending on what happens in Florida, possibly only one Senate seat. Which would be an amazing thing if you look at how many seats right. the Democrats were defending as compared to the Republicans. And that's something to point out here is that those seats that come up for re-election in the Senate – aren't evenly distributed between Republicans and Democrats. It happens just where you are in the cycle. Right. And in this case, I think the Republicans were defending 28 seats and the Democrats were defending – I'm sorry, verse that. The Democrats were defending 20-some seats. 26, I think. And the Republicans were only defending eight or nine. Nine. So the, the Democrats had to win every one of their seats – and then take seats away from the Republicans. To gain any. Right. And by any measure, that was going to be a very difficult thing to do. Well, especially since uh, uh, 10 of these seats were in states that went fairly heavily for Donald Trump. And you look and see what happened. We know that uh, the Republicans knocked off Claire McCaskill in Missouri. Uh, They knocked off Joe Donnelly in Indiana, uh, you know, they, they knock, they, they were able to knock off Democratic incumbents in, in the red states, fairly heavily red states. And, uh, and, and possibly, we don't know again what happened in, in Florida because they're going to probably a handheld recount. Um, uh, but I think Democrats were disappointed, you know, they had Stacey Abrams, a black candidate for governor running in. Georgia. Georgia yeah. Now, if you th- what you're disappointed that a black woman didn't win in Georgia, and it was pretty darn close. One point five percent of the elect of the yeah, electorate. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 that is an amazing jump for well, where yeah. Georgia was. And you know, when I was a kid, uh, and I might have told uh, you this story before. Uh, I lived in South Carolina, and a friend of mine invited me over to his house because his brother had come from his. University of Georgia fraternity and bought a pickrick axe handle. And for those of you who don't know what that is, those are axe the handles of an axe that a guy named Lester Maddox, who owned this chain of restaurants, handed out to his customers to uh, threaten or beat uh, black people if they came in and, and used his restaurant after the Civil Rights Act was passed. And Lester Maddox was elected governor of Georgia. This is in the mid-60s. So the idea that, you know, I think 
the Democrats might have set the bar too high. Well, you know, if we have Gillum win in Florida and we have Abrams win in Georgia, then we got to – well, yeah, that's a very, very long shot for those two things. But if you looked what happened, 38 seats in the House, the biggest gain since Watergate, uh, defending a map. And not only in the Senate did were they able to defend most of the uh, – even states that Trump won. I mean, Tester won in Montana. Manchin won in West Virginia. They picked up two seats. And that's not good news for the Republicans either because they picked up Nevada and Arizona. Yeah, they took uh, John McCain's old seat is now in the hands of a Democrat. Right. And so, you know, if you think about this, the those states were basically part, usually voted what we call red, Nevada mm-hmm. and Arizona. Now they don't. Now they don't anymore. You know, you had – uh, people who you know in uh, cinema, the 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 young woman who who young to me won the uh, won the race in Arizona. I mean, she's the first avowed uh, public bisexual candidate to win in Arizona. And I I don't see how I don't see any good. I'll put it this way. I mean, what did uh, you know uh, uh, Gordon Lightfoot say about the Edmund Fitzgerald? <laughs> It, it it may have broke up, uh, it may have capsized, it may have broke deep and took water. And he's talking about, obviously, the wreck of the infant Fitzgerald. The Republicans had a very, very bad night. I don't know how bad it is yet, and they probably don't know how bad it is yet, but it was bad. They lost seven governorships. I mean, they lost six state houses. Not only that, let's take a look at the, um, you know, the uh, so-called progressives were able to get some initiatives on the ballot. Missouri and Arkansas. Now, when I say Missouri and Arkansas, do you think really liberal? Latte liberal. <laughs> no, they're not. They're, they're drinking Folgers. They're not, drink, they're not going to Starbucks. Okay. How about Idaho, Nebraska, and Utah? Are you thinking... Yeah, solidly liberal. That they're just going to vote Democratic no matter what. Uh, that, that's as red as you get. That, that's that's the heart of the red states. It is. And here's what happened in Missouri and Arkansas. It was put on the ballot, and they approved raising the minimum wage in Missouri and Arkansas a lot, almost twenty over twenty percent in both cases. That's typically a progressive slash Democratic right. idea. And Idaho, Nebraska, and Utah. They approved Medicaid expansion, and and that was a big selling point of Obamacare initially. And I think Obama and some of the Democrats were surprised that these states rejected Medicaid. Medicaid is the program where the federal government and the state government contribute to getting health care, health insurance, to people who can't afford it. It's not Medicare for a certain age. It's it's what they call a means-tested program where you're – you know, if you – if your family doesn't make a certain amount of money, they'll help you out. Well, and Idaho, Nebraska, and Utah approved of that. They approved of that. In uh, Michigan, Missouri, Colorado, and Utah, they have uh, they approved measures to limit gerrymandering, put it in the hands of a independent commission, or at least reduce the effect political parties have on that. And that gerrymandering was helping them. So the gerrymandering was, was helping the so this Republican was a Party. Self defeating 
this was this was a vote for the good of the country, right. not for the good of your political party. And, and I'm 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 looking at these things and I'm thinking, well, they don't like they don't like Republican ideas. They don't like them even in Missouri and Arkansas. You may be able to. Uh, you know, they might not like the Democratic messenger of those ideas. And you may be able to, um, you know, concentrate on social, whether they're abortion or same-sex marriage. But as far as some of these very basic disagreements, I mean, the Democratic Party has always stood for, they're the ones that created the minimum wage. Right. And the Republican Party has generally been against it. But in, you know, you're losing in Missouri and Arkansas. So I, I look at all of this, you know, if you put it all together, I don't see a, uh, you know, that this was anything but pretty bad for the Republican Party. Yeah. It, you know, when um, Obama lost 63 seats, uh, he did come back in two years and win over 50 percent of the popular vote. Uh, but Obama in his two elections uh, won over 50 percent of the popular vote, which I don't think has been done by a Republican probably maybe since Reagan um, to win over 50 percent of the popular vote. Two times in a row. Yeah. So it certainly isn't indicative that the, the next election is going to go the way of the party that was uh, profitable in the midterm. But Trump's an anomaly to me because – of his approval rating. If we look, if we compare his approval ratings to other presidents, other presidents seem to ebb and flow up and down. Uh, usually you start high, you get a honeymoon period, and then you sort of taper off. Uh, I think Reagan was in the 40s when during his first midterm. I think uh, Obama was as well. But what's unique about Trump is that he was he's never out of he's never above 50%. It's a straight line basically for the last two years at about 40%. It goes down to 37, bumps up to 42, and that's probably all within the margin of error. Uh, we have a great economy right now. We have record low unemployment. Um, his, his numbers should be in the 50s at least with what's going on around him. Um, and so what I see is he's not expanding his base. Um, he and I think we forget uh, how close the election was two years ago. Uh, the quote unquote blue wall fell. Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania all went red, um, but by just minute margins. I, if you had changed what eighty thousand votes in three states, not eighty thousand in each one, I think eighty thousand yes. over those three states in Pennsylvania, for example, he won forty eight point eight percent. To forty-seven point six percent, that is a that's uh, a, like a one and a half percent. But in Pennsylvania for governor, it was fifty-two forty-seven. That's a five percent swing uh, for Democrats. So he didn't that there wasn't a bump or a bounce for him in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, and well, Florida. We could talk about separately. Um, but if we look at Wisconsin, for example, um, he won Wisconsin 47.9 to 46.9, basically one percentage vote. Um, was, I think the Wisconsin, uh, I think the governor was elected 53 to 46. That's a, You got stomped at 53 to 46. You mean the Democrat the was elected? And they knocked it. off Scott Walker, who right. at one time was considered 
a potential Republican candidate for president. Like that's I was looking at some of these states that he that Trump has to win in 2020. He he has to win Florida. I mean that's the, he absolutely if he loses Florida, it's over. There's no for, hope for any Republican candidate. Right. Um he has to win Ohio. Um if he loses Ohio, I guess he could lose Ohio and win Pennsylvania, but uh, but Ohio seems to be his another strong but even in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, the numbers are moving in the wrong direction for him. Well, if- yeah, in 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 Pennsylvania, they had a governorship and a uh, a senator, senator election, yeah. a senatorial election. In Wisconsin, it was the same thing. They had a senator, a senatorial election, and a governor. And Michigan, it was the same thing. There was a governor, so uh, and and a senator elected uh, uh, last week. Now. Think about that. Those are the three. St- that was the blue wall. Michigan, Wisconsin, and, and I was convinced too. And I, I really thought there's no way. I mean, Hillary's going to be president because right. you can't. A Democrat can't win Wisconsin, Michigan, and PA. A Republican will never win those. But but look what happened in this last election. Two years later, in all of those, there were six candidates there. Then you know, three all statewide offices, not. We'll we'll get in talking about the the representatives, which weren't statewide, and every single one went for the Democrats. Every single one of the statewide offices in those three states. Well, that tells you that something has happened with, like, people don't necessarily want Trump's politics. I'm sure his style has turned off. I mean, I'm from— in a Midwestern state. I grew up in Indiana. I guarantee his style turns off some people in the Midwest. They always say Midwestern nice, mm-hmm. and he's anything but that. He's a brash New Yorker. So I'm sure his style, but I also think his his policies turn people off. I do think people want medic. You know, they want Medicaid expansion. They uh, there there's some other things here, but I, I think his style is this abrasive style. It just doesn't earn him. Now you're talking about Ohio, and Ohio was split. I think uh, was it DeWine won mm-hmm. the governorship. He's a Republican, but they lost the Senate seat. So let's say you take those four states, and you've got four governors and four senators, so they're eight. Democrats won seven out of eight. I mean, that doesn't look good. For, that doesn't bode well for Trump. And also, the guy, it doesn't bode well for the Republican Party because the governors will now have a say over the gerrymandering that occurs in the next census and, you know, what, can, what happens after the next census. And the Democrats gain control in seven states. They're obviously not going to go along with a map that's drawn in f- totally in favor of the Republicans like, like what has happened previously. So I— I don't. Again, I don't. It, it's. It was a very, very, very bad night for Republicans. How bad? We we don't know. We don't know if this is a realigning election. My argument would be that it's not, and I think that's why the Democrats are are disappointed. My argument, though, is it started to be a de-aligning election, and not only did we see that in the Senate, we see that in the House districts that flipped. And where were they? They were in the suburbs. And who lives in the suburbs in, in big cities in the United States? And that is educated and wealthy people, generally speaking, uh, in, in a lot of these suburbs. 
And that's what gained the control of the House. It was those suburban right. districts. What, was there four districts that flipped in Pennsylvania? Was it four? I think it was four. Okay. And they're all like, like suburban Philadelphia. And then Connor Lamb, who's a whole nother deal out in Pittsburgh. We could do a whole podcast on Connor Lamb yeah. as, as the prototype for where Democrats, I think, need to be. Uh, me, me too. Yeah. If Connor Lamb was 20 years older and you run him against Trump, he wins in a landslide. Mm-hmm. And he might win Nebraska or something. He's that, he's that good. But uh, uh, here's an interesting thing uh, in, that I read. In 1992... The, uh, the if you looked at the thirty best educated districts in the country, there's four hundred thirty. Take the thirty. We know this stuff because of census data, so it's pretty accurate. The re- in 1992, the Democrats control uh, had representatives in about fifteen of those, about half, half of them. Republicans, fifteen. After last week's election. The Democrats have control of 28 out of the 30 of the best educated districts. That's not good. That's not good for the Republicans. Is And, and part of that huge difference is educated women who, who voted for uh, Democratic candidates in about 20 percent, uh, a rate uh, of 20 percent higher than they voted for Republican. I think it was like 58 to 38 or something like that that they voted for. The Democrats. I mean, how can you build like you're talking about? How do you build your base? Well, I, I have I thought in 2016 when Trump won, um, I, I had I had high hopes that Trump would not be as divisive as he was, and we talked about in, that about the, in the last podcast. And as time went on, I tended to think that the Republican Party was selling its soul, short term victory, long term loss that they were rallying around a man uh, who was going to give them a short-term victory because he won the presidential election and he had control of both houses of Congress. But it was going to destroy in what the Republican Party was. Um, do you think I'm do you think I'm overstating that that Trump is destroying the Republican Party? Well, I I think he's like dealigning it. I think it's piecemeal. Yeah, yeah. If if I would say destroy it all at once, no. I mean, they're still getting enough. You know, the Republicans are still getting I, enough. I votes. understand the label's still there. They right. call themselves Republicans, but what it means to be a Barry well, Goldwater Republican? Oh, small sure, group. sure. Yeah, he 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 he's. I mean, and who knows what his actual political philosophy is? I think he tends to gravitate toward people who really approve of him, and sometimes those are extreme people. And some of those extreme people haven't typically been Republicans. I mean, we're in Lancaster County. I know plenty of Republicans who are not extreme people, and I know plenty of Lancaster Countyans who are turned off by his his rhetoric and the way he approaches it. But uh, you know, when we look at this idea of critical elections and realigning elections, you have to look at the idea of uh, coalitions. And coalitions are basically just the groups of voters that usually vote for your party. And for the Republicans, it's typically been white, male, older, more fundamentally religious, and they're concentrated in the center of the U.S., and you can see that when you ever see those red and blue states. Right. The blue states tend to be around the edges, and the, you know there's a lot of area in the red in between. And oftentimes, but not always, it depends on what state, 
these people, uh, the Republican voters are often better off financially. And so the Republicans are promising tax cuts and right. so forth. So that makes sense. Um, and they're ideologically conservative. The Democratic base uh, has greater numbers of minority voters. There's a huge – there's always been or for many, many years been a female gender gap. This year it was enormous where female voters typically vote. Well, at least among educated women it was uh, enormous. Uh, they're less often religious and they're concentrated on the coast and upper Midwest. And they're ideologically more liberal. So what you have to ask yourself when you look at the results of this election – who made inroads in the other person's <laughs> yeah, okay. base, in the other party's base? Did a whole bunch of black people vote for the Republicans? Well, if you listen to Donald Trump, he would say – he answer obviously is no. But they, they should have, right. Yes. But Did they, a whole lot of Hispanic people vote? No, absolutely vote? not. Young people? No. No. Okay. It's still older how, white guys. Yeah. How about women? No. All right. So they didn't make any inroads in the Democratic base. None. But in the suburbs, if you look at educated men in the suburbs, there was an inroad. And they voted and they they still, if you look at men with college educations, they still voted more Republican than Democrat, but about by three or four percent. Whereas your educate college educated women were going for Democrats by twenty percent. Where's the future where, where's the future of your party? I, I mean if if women and minority groups, which and minority groups are gradually getting to be, especially Hispanics, a, a larger portion of the of the population, plus educated men are now leaving your party, and you're losing in the suburbs. Think about that. You know, you you know the party you did well. Wealthy people in the suburbs, when you and I were younger, were not voting for Democrats. Generally speaking, no. But my, this my- election, they did. So. So what's going to happen? I mean, to me, uh, again, the idea that this this could be a realigning election, and you could see over the next, uh, you know, two or three election cycles, uh, where, where Republicans are 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 just locked out of power. Well, that brings me to an, a thought and a question: Is this really worse than it looks? Are we going to get in 2020 when there is redistricting and Republican Democrats control the houses and Democrats are now controlling more of uh, the uh, the governorships? And, and, and remember, those states even in the red areas now have voted for an independent uh, body to redistrict. So, if we get a, a fair redistricting, are we? Is this? Do you think this victory will flesh out more? Yeah. In 2020, you're really going to see the the impact wasn't seen as much because something is so gerrymandered. Once we correct some of that, you're going to see a bigger push in 2020, and you're really going to start seeing the differences between the parties. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what it, what I think. And and, and then uh, even in the statewide elections, I mean, in Texas, what Beto O'Rourke lost O'Rourke. by O'Rourke is it O'Rourke? I always have trouble with his last name. Yeah. For for a long time before I um what when he first entered the the race I thought he was a woman. Okay. Cuz Beto is yeah. Robert and yeah, you know, I didn't the, know that. The nickname for But anyhow, uh, I mean, what was it? 3 or 4% against Ted Cruz in Texas? Right. But I mean, you can see what's happening. I mean, Arizona went democratic, Nevada went democratic. Now Texas within 3 or 4%. God, if Texas goes blue, it, it 
and and look at Republicans. We don't in 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 Florida, which was the other big huge state that Republicans could often count on. Now Obama won it twice, Mm. but um, we don't know what's going to happen yet with that Senate race. It it looks to me like that's it. In the Senate, I, I don't think Gillum's going to win the governorship. He's too far behind. Right. But the Senate race could easily flip toward Nelson over Scott. So, yeah, I, I don't – who who is expanding – you know, who is expanding right. their reach? Who is expanding – and also, where does the future of America lie? Is, are, are white older males going to have more power 10 years from now or less? What's your guess? I'm going to guess less. It's the browning of America. It's not only Browning, but look at the percentage of of, of genders that are in college. I mean, do more right. females go to college, or, or more compl- females? More do. females do. Does will that lead to more economic and political power? Usually, it does. A better educated, there's something called political efficacy. Those people who feel they can affect the process vote in more numbers, and that usually helps. The Republicans, especially in a midterm, the fact that they have a a more a whiter, uh, more wealthy base helps them in the midterm because those people have a higher sense of political efficacy and they're more likely to turn out to vote. And actually, the electorate didn't look a whole lot different in 2000. If, if you look at the total electorate, didn't look a whole lot different in 2018 than 2016. So the electorate you know, composition, male, female, Latino, young, more Latino, more young people came out to vote. But the electorate didn't, but the Republicans lost probably 38 seats. What that shows again is that they're also losing these college-educated people in the suburbs, the wealthier people in the suburbs. And it's like, you lose that group? What do you got? And I mean, you're not expanding in the other groups, and you're pulling away in the other groups. You're losing if you're losing every if you're losing your base. You're, yeah. yeah, in an even contest, and you've lost your base, or you're losing, and it's just a little bit right now. Right. But what's the future? And, and to me, it, to me, it looks grim for the Republicans. And I, you know, and I, I don't. And and to answer your question or get back to your question about Donald Trump, is Donald Trump behind some of this? Yes, it is. Talk to your talk to your friends who are educated women. I try, you know, I often try to. They they're appalled by Donald Trump. They're appalled by his confrontational attitude. They're appalled by what he said about women. They're appalled by the fact that he doesn't have many women in his administration. They're appalled by him. Are they coming back to the Republican Party any soon? Anytime soon? What's your guess? No, it, it's you, you know once bitten twice shy sort of thing, yeah. and that's why I'm talking. I think that I think what I said before um, with the Republican Party, with Republicans embracing Donald Trump, it was a short term gain, long term loss. You were per- permanently damaging the image of your party for a generation. Well, I think we're going to leave it there. Uh, we we could go on. Uh, I know there's a we could get into local elections more. I mean, state houses. Um, but I think that's a good place to leave it. Um, as we move forward, uh, our next podcast, I think we're going to talk about Trump's relationship with the press and his disdain for members of the press and how that's playing out and how that impacts the news that you receive. So uh, thanks for tuning in and contact us at historypoliticsandbeer at gmail.com. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.